Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. Well, as I mentioned on last week's show, this morning I want to do a, a deep dive and, and discuss both the short-term as well as the long-term impact that the new rules regarding college student-athletes being able to make money from selling the rights to their name, image, and likeness, or NAL in short, and what that's all going to mean for college athletes and perhaps for down the road current high school athletes. Now, as we've discussed on this subject on the Sports Edge for over the last year, the, these landmark changes that are occurring to the NCAA and its student athletes have been quite simply astounding. I mean, anyone who has followed college sports in their lifetime or perhaps even played at an NCAA institution or has had a son or daughter who has played college sports, well, you know full well that the rules and regulations regarding one's amateur status have been well-defined and strictly enforced by the colleges. I mean, in short, I grew up in a time, and many of you did as well, where college athletes were not allowed to earn a dime from any kind of endorsement deal or make any kind of money from outside entrepreneurial ventures. And if you did, well, you were immediately you immediately jeopardized your amateur status as an athlete. And not only would you ruin your eligibility to play in college, but more than that, being stripped of one's amateur status carried a, well, it carried a taint with it. That is, that you knowingly did something wrong, that you were caught, and now you're going to pay the price. In effect, you were shamed. It was as simple as that. <laughs> but that's now all in the past. Thanks to a very strong decision from the United States Supreme Court and thanks to a bunch of individual states which are supporting this movement, college athletes are now finding themselves open to all sorts of new money-making ventures while they're in school and still playing sports. In effect, student-athletes can generate income beyond their college athletic scholarships. And these monies, they can come from social media deals with, as influencers doing endorsements with local sponsors, sneaker deals, in short, the possibilities seem to be endless. And you probably won't be surprised to hear that there are already several entrepreneurial firms that are specializing in repping college athletes 
who want to take on clients. Now, this new frontier represents all sorts of discussion and debate, and it's going to affect not only today's current athletes, but as I mentioned, also kids who are in high school and future generations of, of athletes. And to that end, I've asked our longtime Sports Edge contributor, sports commentator, and attorney Steve Callis to join me this morning to map out all the legal aspects of these changes. And I've also asked Noah Savage, all Ivy League basketball player at Princeton, and now does a color commentary for ESPN on college basketball, to discuss all this with me. Steve, Noah, good morning. Great to be with you as always, Rick, and with Noah. Good morning. Hey, guys. Look, look, Steve, let me start with you because we have a lot of ground to cover here. Was this movement started with the college athletes basically recognizing that the coaches and universities that they played for were making millions and millions of dollars, that the athletes had a hard time finding a few bucks in order to pay for their meals and personal expenses? Is that the real genesis of this? Well, I think there's no question that that's a major part of it. You can go back to the 1984 Supreme Court case, NCAA against Board of Regents of the University of Oklahoma, uh -huh. where Justice John Paul Stevens gave an impassioned, almost quaint today about the you know benefits of amateurism and how we have to keep that. That was specifically specifically ruled as dictum in this Supreme Court case, the Alston case from a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but, of course, back then, you know, the NCAA was big, but it wasn't a gigantic industry. Coaches were not making six, eight, ten, twelve million dollars a year, uh, plus their sneaker deals, which didn't come really into effect until later. So that's kind of been rejected by this court. I think the real, and, and, and the holding of the court is essentially the NCAA has committed antitrust violations because they are kind of the monopoly and the dictator if you will, overall college sports. But the interesting opinion to me, and if anybody was going to read something, I wouldn't tell them to read the 40 or 45-page decision of the Supreme Court, although that's the law of the land. The scary thing, I think, for the NCAA is the Kavanaugh concurrence, which is only five pages. I would recommend that everybody read it. But in that decision, Kavanaugh said, this decision, the Austin decision from a couple of weeks ago, is limited only to these education-related expenses, right, as you know, right. Rick. Yeah. Um, but he essentially said anything that the NCAA does now is going to be looked at under normal rule of reason scrutiny from an antitrust perspective, uh, and that essentially means that they're just going to look at it as they would any other business in the country. And Kavanaugh's two specific quotes I'll give you quickly are, the NCAA business model would be flatly illegal in almost any other industry in America, and price-fixing labor is price-fixing labor, and price-fixing labor is ordinarily a textbook antitrust problem because it extinguishes the free market in which individuals can otherwise obtain fair compensation for their work. People have talked about that. Athletes have complained about that for decades now, uh, but this immediately flips the switch and changes virtually overnight um, everything that we've thought about in the past versus July 1 this year and, and looking forward. At, at that point, I'm going to bring Noah Savage into this conversation because obviously, Noah, it wasn't that long ago that you were in college at Princeton playing basketball and, and obviously a, a big-time Division One uh, program. And yet, you know, the, the fact is that, uh, you know, even back then you were asking the same questions. Well, what, what's going on here? How come, how come uh, you know, the... the uh, the major sponsors of the NCAA are able to cash in on my likeness and, and, and image, and yet I don't get paid a dime. And quite frankly, when you're in college, as with most student athletes, money is hard to come by. 
Um, and I know you, you were, this all goes back to the Ed O'Bannon case, uh, the, the basketball player at UCLA, and how he, he filed a lawsuit. And eventually that, you know, he won that case. And uh, I know you were one of the, the, the players who benefited from that. Yeah. Tell, tell me how you came to the same conclusion uh, that, you know, it's about time for this, this old world to change. Well, you know what, Rick, I'm going to uh, preface this with one of the, one of the best uh, – one of the best ways you can look at this is by comparing it to any other entertainment vehicle, right? So if you compare it to acting, you compare it to stand-up, you know, when Dakota Fanning was five and she starred in Signs, you know, alongside Tom Cruise, there was no governing body that said she doesn't get to make money because she's too young. And when I was in college, we're a bunch of smart guys supposedly hanging around and going, wait, how much does our coach make and how much does he make off of camps and how much does he make off of this and that? And we're over here playing, you know, 50 cent a dollar poker against each other at night going, man, I wish I had another 40 bucks to spend. Mm -hmm. So I'm smiling ear to ear because of the uh, progress that the NCAA has made in this case. But this is just a baby step. And there's still restrictions in place, which are ridiculous. And I really think we're just going to see the end of the NCAA because I actually had to Google what, what they actually do. And on their website, they say that their main mission is to safeguard the well-being of student-athletes and equip them with the skills to succeed on the playing field and in the classroom and throughout life. Yes. I can't think of a single thing the NCAA did for me when I was in college playing D1 basketball. They had no relationship with a student-athlete. All they are was a net. They catch all the talent, and then they sell it to sponsors, and they say, you can't benefit off it. Well, that's, that's uh, yeah. I mean, I know you felt so strong about this for some time, and you did a nice job there basically summarizing your, your feelings about this. Uh, I, I, is it fair to say among the three of us that uh, we do think this is going to be the end, the death knell for the NCAA, that the, you know, the, the Power Five conferences are basically going to say, well, you know what, um, you know, your day has come and gone. We're going to basically be charged with overseeing all of our athletes and what they do in terms of endorsement deals anyhow. So the NCAA, I'm not really quite, as you said, Noah, I'm not really quite sure what you provide for us in terms of any kind of leadership or, but you know, or help. Why, why does it even need oversight? You know, it's, it's a free market. So if you can go out and get 5 million Instagram followers or TikTok followers, go make money. I don't care what you do. You, you know, that that's, that's the free market, so I don't get why in this one subset of people, known as athletes, there needs to be some sort of regulation. And people are going to go, well, there's going to be a power imbalance with recruiting. There's already such a huge power well, imbalance. Let me in, stop in you there. And football we're or basketball, it's we're, crazy. We're talking this one with Noah Savage and Steve Callis. Let me ask you this, because we're already, in just the last few weeks, deals for college athletes, student athletes, they're doing endorsement deals for everything from fireworks to, uh, to tea, scented candles, personal appearances with autograph signings, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. But let me ask you this, guys. Uh, those headlines were made this past week with a, um, a booster uh, of the University of Miami. And, and this fellow is very, very well off, and, and basically uh, he, is a, he announced that he's going to pay each member of the University of Miami football team, that's 90 players, $500 a month to each one of them, all they have to do if they would promote his chain of exercise gyms that he owns and, and promote them on, on each kid's social media account. Um, it's going to end up costing this booster uh, over, half a, mil uh, over um, half a million dollars to do this. But 
he said, I've already checked with this, all the, the new rules and regulations, and this is perfectly legit. So my first question to you guys is, you, I guess I know, I know you feel good about this. This makes a lot of sense to you. Uh, Steve, do you feel the same way? This makes sense to you? This works? Well, I think it's fair, but it's just going to be, as Noah alluded to, just, you know, the big schools will just be bigger and more yes. powerful, and the richer the boosters, the more you can offer. I'll even go back to the actual Supreme Court decision where you had a guy like Len Elmore, a friend of the Sports Edge, of course, Rick, yep. um, who was an ABA and NBA player who then wound up going to Harvard Law School and became a basketball agent for a while. He said even with the internships, you know, under the Supreme Court decision, you can now give internships, paid internships, etc. And he used, I think, on purpose the facetious example of saying, oh, okay, we'll give you an internship, we'll pay you a million dollars. But the real question is, we give you an internship, we pay you 10000 or 20000 or 30000 or 100000 What's the limit? What is considered, you know, moderate? And yes, that's what's going to happen. But again, as Noah said, um, there's already a huge recruiting difference for Alabama football or, I don't know, UConn women's basketball. Uh, I think this will only, if you have rich boosters, or a big budget, which those kinds of schools do, uh, I think that's only going to make the gap, frankly, even wider. Well, that, that's what I'm looking at here, and I'm glad you guys are, you know, agree with this. I mean, uh, it's what, it is going to be, uh, to coin a phrase, which I've used many times on the show, the wild, wild west. Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, so the Miami uh, football booster says, I'm going to put up uh, every kid in the team gets 500 bucks a month, which is obviously great income for a kid to have. But let's say they're going after a, a recruit, and somebody from the University of Alabama says, or you know, or from Ohio State, to the same recruit. Well, if you come here, we'll give you a thousand dollars a month, uh, you know, for an endorsement deal. Isn't that what you guys yep. are talking about? That's Isn't that going to happen? Well, maybe maybe this serves as a way to make it more equal, you know, across the different levels of D1, because now a booster like Jeff Bezos went to Princeton. He could go, I'm going to give everybody on the team a million dollars. Yes. You come to Princeton, you're going to, you're going to get a million. Yep. So, so all of a sudden, a low D1 becomes a high major because they have a, a rich booster. <laughs> but you know what? It's up to every individual in this country how much they want to waste their money or spend it on whatever they want. And it's like, look at the assistant coaches' salaries for Florida, Oklahoma, Florida State in the millions for the assistants. And then you go, it doesn't matter it's a free market. However much you want to pay a player to go to a school, that's your prerogative. All right. I, 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 guys, as I said, this is going to be just extraordinary to see how this all plays out and what the market will bear. Uh, I have lots more questions. I'm talking this morning with Noah Savage of ESPN, Steve Callis, longtime contributor to WFAN and to the Sports Edge. i got to take a, a break. When I come back, I'll return with our conversation. Stay with me. And welcome back to the Sports Edge, everyone. I'm your host, Rick Wolf, uh, having a very spirited conversation this morning about what is going to happen with college student-athletes or athlete students, if you want to call them that way, uh, with, with Noah Savage and Steve Callis. And we're talking about what is going to take place, not just in the short term. And we've already seen a tremendous number of, of deals being struck, uh, not necessarily with just only um, basketball or football stars, but it's, it's refreshing in a way to see kids who are from uh, track and field, volleyball, uh, other sort of uh, minor sports, if you will, uh, who are cutting endorsement deals because these athletes have great followings in social media. And up until now, they were not allowed to you know, basically get paid or do any, uh, any, any, any monetary deals uh, from their personal social media or influencing campaigns. But now they can, and obviously it, it, it's, it's good to see. 
Guys, let me, we, before the break, we're talking about about what's what's the sky's the limit here in terms of uh, uh, college recruiting. That's that's a real concern because if it won't be a case of the rich get richer. Now now, there's a, I was the last few days I saw that Master P, the rapper, his son Hersey, he's he's a pretty good basketball player. He's going to play basketball at Tennessee State, but as part of this deal. I guess his father, and Noah, perhaps you can uh, enlighten us about this, his father cut a deal so that his son is going to be um, an endorser for uh, a tech firm called Web Apps, but the deal is for for four years uh, and, well, basically half a million dollars a year. I mean, so if I understand this right, yeah. this kid's going to get a lot of money because his dad was able to basically put together a deal with Web Apps. Yeah, that's great. What's the uh, What's the problem? <laughs> I mean, like, I, I just don't understand. We've been brainwashed, Rick. It feels like to think that the NCAA has some sort of rhyme or reason to stop athletes from being paid, and the only rhyme or reason is that they want that money. Okay, that's I, it. I hear you. I hear I you. It. It's just right. That's it, it. You have to understand. You know, I'm, I'm a bit of an old school guy, as you know, and this is something yep. I've grown up with all my life. And uh, now we're saying, yeah, sure, you can get your basketball scholarship to Tennessee State. And by the way. This outside company is going to basically uh, be writing a check for you uh, for the next four years for half a million dollars each year. Uh, that's pretty good. Yeah, and this is a tech company that supports historically black colleges and universities. Yep. So there's an argument there that they're doing some good. But there's also, you know, there's guys like uh, Dylan Gibbons, who's a football player. He threw up a GoFundMe for someone that he met at a game, and they raised $30,000, you know, overnight. So it's not like... This is all sinister and bad. But, you know, guys are using their image and their fame for good. And I just kind of, like, don't understand the problem, right? Because if you're if you're an actor, you're an entertainer, you're going to get paid as much as possible. There, there's absolutely no reason to not pay athletes. Like, you get the eyeballs, and then the advertisers want to pay you. That's hey, pretty, uh, pretty simple. However I, you get the I eyeballs, you, you get the money. I hear it sounds like a win-win. Uh, but let me ask you about this. First of all, two questions, and, and Steve, perhaps – I'm curious your thoughts about this. First of all, are we are we going to assume that the university or the colleges are all going to basically oversee all this? And what happens if a kid is in college playing on a sports team and he's approached to basically endorse uh, one of the so-called traditional vices like uh, like uh, beer or alcohol or gambling? How does that work? Yeah, I can speak to that a little bit. I can tell you the legislation that was passed in Alabama specifically prohibits athletes from entering into agreements with a company advertising any tobacco product, alcohol beverage, marijuana, adult entertainment, or gambling. That's in the Alabama law. It's also a similar thing in the Texas law that I'm aware of. But to answer your question more broadly, it's literally state to state, and in the few states, I think it's like 12 that are left that do not have some kind of either NIL law that's signed in an effect or about to be signed in an effect. Uh, then it goes more to the schools and maybe the conferences, probably the schools specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's going to be hard for me to see. But the interesting thing is, okay, in one of these uh, uh, non-state regulated law states, if someone does something for a casino, for example, 
it strikes me there might be some lawsuits on that kind of stuff. But I think everybody's going to now copycat essentially what Alabama and Texas has done. And if there's ever any federal legislation, and of course they're as slow to act as the NCAA at times, if there's ever any federal legislation, presumably there would be that kind of clause that I just read from the Alabama law would be in some kind of uh, national law. And are we expecting? Are we expecting the? Uh, and I hear what you're saying. I, 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 we do expect, obviously, there'll be at some point some federal, you know, legislation. But am I? Who's going to enforce all this? I mean, the NCAA basically, and I, they were the watchdogs, and and obviously they were the, 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 uh, if you will, the the controllers and enforcers of all this. But what happens now with now the NCAA sort of being pushed out of the picture? Are the universities? Are the conferences in which they play? Who, who's going to watch all yeah, this can, in terms, you know, in terms of making sure that the kids are behaving and not taking on deals uh, that are a little bit, um, see, uh, you know, shady or seedy? So what's going to happen, Rick, is that right now there's a temporary NCAA rule. They're fighting the state laws because, quote unquote, they want a national law. So eventually there'll be a national law that governs this, you know, coming from Cory Booker and all the people that are making this a big deal. But eventually they're going to be able to endorse alcohol tobacco, gambling. Like, if you look at the last 10 years, I can't believe how many DraftKings and FanDuel commercials we see during an NBA Finals game. Yes. So that's going in that direction. If you're 21 years old, why shouldn't you be able to hold a Budweiser and go, you know, this is great after the game? I I, I don't know what there's going to be to enforce when they just open up the floodgates and go, you want to get paid, get paid. That, it's, that's America. Go for it. <laughs> Well, uh, Noah pointed out specifically to a 21-year-old because he can yes. drink, and, and I don't disagree with that. But I can tell you, again, in Alabama, they have already uh, created some kind of entity to kind of oversee this stuff. And I don't know from a national law perspective, but from a state law perspective, you might see more. Alabama, believe it or not, seems to be almost kind of a leader on this issue, for lack of a better term. Uh, but they do have the what I read before about no one's allowed to do that. Uh, and that might be challenged in court because Noah's right. If you're 21, that's a big difference, frankly, than if you're 18, 19, or 20. If you're old like us, Rick, you remember when 18 was the drinking age, so that would have been even more interesting back then. <laughs> but I think I think these states are going to have to create some kind of entity. I don't know if a federal legislation would, would create such an entity because then everyone would say, what, are you going to try and recreate the NCAA? What a waste of time and money. So I do think, though, that in certain states there is, there is already that kind of entity. Uh, but once again, we'll have a wild, wild west with 50 states and 50 rules. And what happens if a kid is at a college, uh, a D1 program, and decides that uh, he or she wants to transfer to another college? Uh, first of all, I, I, I'm, I'm sort of a little bit murky about this um, with all the pandemic rulings. Are kids now still allowed to go in the transfer portal and not have to sit out a year? Is that going to change? Or, or, I mean, do you guys have any idea? Yeah, that's only for the year of the pandemic, and then it's going to go back to sitting out a year. But, Rick, what's going to happen is that the power conferences are going to realize they, they have no use for the NCAA. And they're going to, they've already cut their own TV deals with their own networks. Correct. They're going to band together, and they're going to say, we're going to just have the tournament. And it's not going to be called the NCAA tournament. And the NCAA is just going to go away. And, and it just won't exist anymore because it serves no purpose at all. And then there's not going to be a need for a ton of regulation with any of these endorsements. They're going to go, if you want to go out and get – an endorsement, go do it. We don't care. What we're worried about is we own the right to put this on TV, and we're going to sell that to the sponsors. 
Okay, I hear you. Uh, and I, I gather each university will have some person in place, for lack of a, a better term, a compliance officer uh, who will oversee any kind of uh, endorsement deal or, or situation that any of the athletes, if the athletes are going to do any of these deals, I guess the kid is, is supposed to be obligated to go to the compliance office to make sure that the deal is above board. Um, I guess that's how this will probably work. Uh, I, I do know, of course, um, that, that there are already, and you guys know as well, uh, there are a lot of entrepreneurial firms that have popped up seemingly like mushrooms overnight to embrace the student-athletes and help them make money. I mean, uh, let's see here. There's a firm in Nebraska called Open, Open Doors that helps generate uh, endorsement opportunities, um, and they said they've already received more than 1,000 offers uh, through its system already from college athletes. Another one's called Icon Source. More than 2,000 athletes have built profiles on its platform. A company in Florida called Dreamfield, specializing in personal appearances by athletes. Well, obviously, they do signings and they get paid to show up at events. Uh, they've had lots of business so far. And perhaps the leader is something called Mogul, M-O-G-L, which was started by a couple of Notre Dame grads, and their business is booming. So clearly, to Noah's point, the college athletes who are, who are basically – scripting to, to find a few pennies during their college career, even though they're on scholarship. Uh, they're, they can't wait to get representation and make things happen, whether, again, it's autograph signings, uh, doing endorsement deals, uh, doing uh, having their, their, their websites or social media, you know, all be embraced uh, by, by influencing campaigns. I mean, it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah, I have a, a an ad actually from Dreamfield that says some of the early prices for meet and greets and autograph signings with Dreamfield, and they have a picture of uh, Mackenzie Milton, who's the quarterback at uh, Florida State, and Derek King, D. Eric yeah, King, right uh, from uh, from Miami at, at Miami, and they're both. Uh, you can get them both for $2,000 a piece. And going back to Open Doors, which you mentioned, Open Doors is uh, co-founded by a former Nebraska linebacker. So from the USA Today from a couple of days ago, these companies provide a window into what NIL legislation may cost major universities willing to make a heavy investment. Open Doors has partnered with the Cornhuskers with Nebraska Athletics Department on a deal worth $250,000 annually. So there's a lot of money flowing uh, not only to the players, but to the these kinds of organizations, which I know they just popped up kind of on July 1st because they, they're they legal, but they've been in the works for at least a few months. Yeah, and another thing to mention, sorry, yeah. Rick, but another thing to mention is that there's still carve-outs beyond the gambling and the booze that uh, players can't strike deals that are in conflict with the school's deals. So if you, you're an Adidas school, you can't be wearing Nikes and getting paid for it on the court during the game, mm -hmm. which I think is ridiculous because Sonny Vaccaro invented that whole, you know, let's sign Jim Beheim so that the players will wear the Nikes deal just to circumvent the NCAA rules. So I think that's going to get struck down eventually, and you're going to have players on the team just, I'm a Nike guy, I'm an Adidas guy, I'm a, you know, Converse guy. Well, and Rick, if I could, on that particular point, uh, Alabama prohibits athletes, quote, from wearing any item of clothing, shoes, or other gear while wearing athletic gear or uniforms licensed by the university. So yeah. that would say, uh, essentially, you know, you can't wear Nikes if you're at an Adidas school. But in New Mexico... And I understand New Mexico isn't Alabama from a national sports perspective, uh, perspective, but New Mexico does not allow students to, quote, prohibit or discourage a student athlete from wearing 
footwear of the student-athlete's choice during official mandatory team activities, so long as the footwear does not have reflective fabric or lights or pose a health risk. So in New Mexico, at least, you can do exactly what Noah is already talking about, but at other schools and most of the major schools, and I'm going to guess the major states, are going to say, no, 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 you can't wear uh, Adidas if you're at a Nike school. But that's also now already split, at least between Alabama and New Mexico. Let me, let me ask you another twist on this, guys. And we're talking with Steve Callis and Noah Savage this morning. This, we've been talking about the NCAA. We're talking about college student-athletes. Do you think this is going to trickle down to high school athletes who are obviously are superstars in their own hometown? I mean, I'm trying to think why that wouldn't happen, but I don't. if you follow the same sort of uh, logic that you guys are talking about here, why wouldn't a high school athlete be eligible to – you know, uh, make a, a local uh, endorsement for the local pizzeria or something like that. Is, do you, th- you have a problem with that? Does that make sense to you? I think Noah's going to say why not, and I think that's probably okay. correct. Do I think there will be some lawsuits arising out of that kind of thing? Uh, the answer is maybe. I think the lawyers are going to profit a lot out of all this stuff as well, Rick, because <laughs> because the NCAA is in deep trouble. I don't know if it's going to totally disappear, uh, but it certainly has already been uh, – you know, trivialized, for lack of a better word. For them, they were supposed to do something in January, and then they were supposed to do something on June 23rd, and then literally, you know, a day or two before July 1, when all the state laws were going to go into effect, they made these, quote, interim rules, which essentially said, yeah, what we've done for 100 years, we're not doing anymore because we can't. And that's why Emmett is up there begging for, you know, federal legislation. But I'll also point out that, uh, not by name, but Justice Alito, way back in oral argument, pointed out that, you know, the president of the NCAA is making four million a year, which again goes back to eighty four when, you know, these things just didn't happen. Now it's so many billions of dollars going to, as Noah said, everybody but the athletes, uh, that it is time for a change and if anything that change is long overdue. Yeah. And and just to jump in real quick, Rick, go ahead, Noah. All you need to do to know how much of an amateur quote unquote event the NCAA puts on is go to a NCAA tournament game in person, which I've been able to do as a broadcaster. Every inch of that arena is sponsored is corporately run i had to switch out my water bottle for a powerade cup and zero of that money is going to the players who are putting on the show that everybody's watching it feels like the super bowl yeah but of course you know you can make a counter argument uh especially at the division one level that these kids are all getting you know full athletic uh, scholarships uh which costs a lot of money isn't that the quid pro quo? Well, Rick, I'll say that's the old person's defense, which <laughs> I somewhat agree with you being an old person. But, yeah, sure, in the old days it was like, yeah, we give you room and board, tuition, um, you know, books even, et cetera, et cetera. But if you gave a guy $100 to fly home for Christmas, that was like a big NCAA violation. Yes. Still yes, might yes. be for all I know. But uh, I think there's been some limits on that. But, yeah, way back when, you you can say now these colleges, you know, fifty, sixty thousand 60000 a year, four years, et cetera, et cetera. But I do agree with the more modern version, for lack of a better term, uh, that, yeah, these guys should get paid. Because, again, coaches, you know, college coaches, and all, you, you talk to these coaches who are making millions. Well, when I started out, I made 7500 as an assistant. Yeah. yeah. But those, those, <laughs> those days are long gone. And I think even the Supreme Court, some, I think there was a strength coach at Alabama who was making $750,000 a year. 
you know, to, right. to, to work the weight room. And so, again, I'm not yeah. knocking that. It's free market, as Noah has said. So uh, I understand the old day view of it, but, you know, I was on a D1 scholarship to play baseball as well, and, and you know, I could have used some money back then, as we all could have. And, you know, I, I, I'm certainly not against pretty much any of this. Do you guys see any downside to this at all? I know I'm sure you don't. Uh, but <laughs> no, no, I do. I do. I do. I what do. is the potential downside or risks or, or concerns? So it's the same downside you see with social media in general, which is we're getting so far away from the point of sports that you've got to look to, like, you know, WWE is a closer model than the old school way of amateur sports because this is really about teamwork and competition and, you know, having lifelong friends and going through struggles. And if every second you're looking over at the locker next to you and a guy's posting a dumb TikTok, I mean, you're getting so far away from the point of sports that it's really just becoming entertainment. So I do see the downside and the kind of the lack of the purity of the game where guys are going to be more focused on their endorsement deals and this $2 million than they are on like the actual point of sports, which is camaraderie, coming together, winning, competition, et cetera. That's interesting because, uh, you know, obviously sports does fall under the umbrella of entertainment. But to your point, if a kid is on a on a, a college team and he's making or she's making so much money from the outside endorsements, you can see how they could get, easily get distracted as to what is their top priority. And that would have a real impact on, on the coach as well, basically being in an awkward spot to talk to one of their top players saying, look, we we got to have you focus now on practice or, or in the games or in our chalk talks. We can't have you being bothered by, by other, uh, you know, polls on your time. The athlete might say, yeah, but I'm making, you know, half a million dollars on my, my social media account. I think, you know, that, that comes first more than, than playing on the team. This is going to be kind of weird for college coaches to have to deal with this. Well, I think an additional downside is going to be the underbelly of college sports that has been there forever. And, and, and how will these payments be couched? How will they be made? Will there be deals where we give you an internship for $5,000, but then, but then we, uh, you know, somehow get you some money some other ways? You know, this all goes back to paying parents to let their kid go to the school, et cetera. So I think that's only going to be, if anything, multiplied, even though these kids will be making money, they'll be making more money, and I think in ways we don't even know about yet. I hear you. All right, let me, let me take a time out. Uh, I just find all this fascinating, uh, and I, you guys obviously are well-versed in this. Uh, we're talking, of course, with uh, Steve Callis and with Noah Savage. Let me take a time out. When I come back, we'll continue with our conversation about college sports. Stay with me. Hey, don't forget, uh, Richard Neer will be along at 9 o'clock this morning following the Sports Edge. Richard Neer, of course, is always just a, a terrific, terrific listen. And also some other news, uh, a quick note. I'm in the process of upgrading my website at AskCoachWolf.com so that it's uh, easier to navigate the, the various uh, podcasts, my blogs, my books, and how to contact me. Uh, this uh, new upgrade of Ask Coach Wolf, it's probably going to be launched uh, probably in early August. I'll, of course, uh, keep you posted as things come together. Uh, we're talking this morning about these immediate changes to kids, college athletes, being able to monetize their experience uh, in the world of college sports. And we're talking with attorney uh, Steve Callis and ESPN uh, commentator Noah Savage. We're getting some great, great thoughts and comments about this. Um, guys, let me ask you this. And I don't know this because, again, this is all sort of uncharted territory uh, with the Supreme Court ruling and obviously various states are now putting out their own laws about what are, was allowed and what isn't. 
Um, we're talking primarily about the Power Five conferences and the Division One athletes. What about kids at the Division Two or Division Three level? Where obviously, particularly in Division Three, there are no scholarships for sports. Uh, some D twos do offer money. But what is your sense here? Is it if you're a Division Three athlete? Uh, I assume you'll be able to do the same thing. Do you guys see any restrictions on them, even though these kids are not? I mean, those are the kids, quite frankly, who are paying their way or taking out loans to go to college. Do you think they're um, uh, they're going to benefit from this too, right? I think that's right, but I think it's just more of an upside. You know, the superstars, uh, Trevor Lawrence last year or the Zion the year before, you know, those are the people who are going to make incredible money. But there does seem to be, especially if you're in an area, I'll, I'll just pick Iowa as an example, you know, <laughs> If you're a star player in Iowa at a local level, I think you're going to make some money. I just don't think you're going to make a lot. But as we've talked about for years, if not decades, Rick, anything, any amount of money for some kids is going to be a really good plus. So, yeah, I think it's coming. I just don't think at the same level as we're going to hear or what we're already hearing about uh, essentially D1 athletes. I mean, somehow it seems almost from my perspective um – like that's just, okay. These are the kids who are really going to benefit the most. Uh, they may not make the kind of money that these D1 athletes who have big followings may have, but you know, if, if you're a D3 school or a D2 school and just getting a partial scholarship, I mean, you could really, you just said, make some real money as you're going through college and maybe get rid of uh, some of your 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 debt or just be able to to you know have groceries in order to eat. I mean, this is. That, to me, seems like a, a real win-win, and it seems, for lack of a better word, it seems sort of pure. I mean, it just seems like it, this is this is great. Uh, Noah, I assume you feel the same way about this? Yeah, I mean, it will open the door for the D2 or D3 athletes who just want to run a small business or want to run a camp or might have a talent for singing or dancing or whatever that can get some views on social media before they wouldn't be able to monetize that, and now they can. So I think it'll be few and far between, but I think a couple D2 or D3 athletes who are able to get that social media following will certainly be able to benefit. Now, let's, let me talk about the college coaches. I mentioned them uh, a few minutes ago before the break. Uh, this is going to be a whole new world for college coaches in terms of not only recruiting, because, yeah, they're going to have to look at kids and say, okay, well, if you, as I mentioned you know, at the top of the show, if you come here, if you go to University of Miami – uh, this guy who has, who's a, a, a booster with deep pockets is basically guaranteeing each kid in the football team $500 a month, uh, as I just mentioned, the, his uh, exercise gyms on their social media accounts. Okay, let's say uh, you're, you're a recruit to Miami and you're saying, well, I also want to look at University of Georgia or, or Florida State. And if you're the coach, you say, well, I'm going to have to somehow find a way to top that $500 a month guarantee from Miami. Um, college coaches... I mean, they really can't pay the kids, obviously. That that sort of violates all the rules. But are they going to be able to work with their booster clubs or alumni association to make these kind of, you know, very, very enticing deals? Is that is that legal? I think that well, is the legal. NCAA says no, right? The NCAA says no, but how do you stop that? Yeah, I, I don't – I mean, so it is legal, right, Steve? I mean, I, I don't – 
Yeah, and I think that's what's going to happen, but then we also get to what I mentioned before, which is that kind of underbelly, yes, something will be done above board, what, if anything, will be done below board, and then we'll just go back to where we've been, you know, uh, I need a car if I'm going to go to St. John's to play basketball, for example, in the old days. Yes. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that's going to happen, so you are going to need, I think, some kind of enforcement. I don't know if it's statewide like they're doing in Alabama. I don't know if it's something national, which at least the NCAA in theory is or was, um, because that hasn't worked out very well. But, yeah, I think that's going to happen. You're going to have to play can you top this. And I'm going to say again, the Power Five Conference guys are going to come in guns blazing with the offers that they can make, and they're going to make it very hard for guys to to find somewhere else where that will be topped. And it's all going to be just like it's been, I think, in terms of the power structure of uh, college sports in terms of on-the-field success. Yeah. yeah, I think there's going to be a dedicated name, image, likeness person on the staff. Yeah, just the way that Kentucky or Duke or UNC has a full-time videographer or team of videographers for their social media account. There's going to be someone whose job it is to find the deals to make them very easy to understand, so that recruit comes in and you go, "Look, if you come here, we're looking at this much per year because we got a car dealership, we have a local this and a local that, and." You know, I think it's it's just going to become a little a little industry. I yeah, I I mean it's really uh, I mean I guess technically the, the universities the college coaches are not paying their athletes, but of course it's just really kind of a facade because they're the ones doing the recruiting and they're telling the the recruits, yeah, we have all this money lined up from our various alums and from our booster clubs and sponsors, and so you'll get paid. Uh, in addition to your full athletic scholarship, you will get paid as well. Uh, you can count on this amount of money every month coming in from uh, these outside sponsors, whether it's for your website or your or your Twitter account, whatever it might be, that money is guaranteed. And as you said, it's going to be a case where the rich get richer because, you know, if a kid is looking at to go to a, a mid-major uh, and he's also being recruited by uh, Ohio State or Michigan, which have much deeper pockets, the kid's going to go to a, 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 it's going to go to the money is. Um, I, it's, it's really kind of weird. I guess also one of the demands any kid's going to make of a college coach is say, okay, you got me the full scholarship, you got me the, the, uh, the endorsement deals, now I want to make sure that I'm your starting quarterback. <laughs> how does, how does that, that work the out? Same, that's the same as it's always been, and by bringing it above board, I don't really understand what's going to happen below board because everything will be above board. Yeah. So if I'm getting recruited by the Big Ten, I'm going to be able to get the same offers from Ohio State that I can get from Michigan, and it's kind of going to revert to what it already is now, which is do I like the coach? Do I like my teammates? Do I like your offensive system? Because within a conference, there are going to be similar deals. Yeah. Well, I think personally that, that there's always going to be a below board to some extent. You just don't know what the extent is. That's why it's below board. Yep. I think that will still be in existence, and I think that will have some effect. And I think in the years to come, we will eventually hear about some scandal that's happened at some institution. Uh, so I don't think that's going to disappear, even though I understand what you're saying, Noah, which is all these deals at the first level are going to be published, if anything. You can already find tons of articles about all the NIL deals that have been made, and they're already in the thousands, as far as I can tell, after literally like one week. Yeah, it's it's really been quite a, a, a money grab uh, for these college athletes who obviously are all online, and they all realize that this is their golden opportunity. 
to make some real money right away. Um, I am become a little concerned, though, still, and I, I understand what you're saying, though, about, you know, this is how it's been in sports. It's still very competitive, and the best players play. But if I'm a kid who's who's been highly recruited to go to a top program, and I get on campus, and for some reason uh, I'm not getting the kind of playing time that I thought I was promised, uh, that's going to have a real negative impact perhaps on my, my NIL, on my endorsement deals, and maybe the time has come for me to go someplace else. Now, you're going to say, well, that's how it is today anyhow. Kids only have playing time. They transfer. But I, it still seems a little awkward. I mean, I, I, I see that as a potential real kind of issue for, for college coaches to have to deal with. Yeah, well, it's going to be, uh, you know, increasingly hard to teach young people the difference between what it looks like on Instagram and what it really is. <laughs> and when you're getting recruited and they have a video presentation and a name image likeness deal and they got some money on the table, that's one thing. But when you show up, you still got to run wind sprints and score points. Otherwise, you're going to be asked to transfer. And that's the missing part that people don't talk about is if you go to Kentucky and they don't win, I mean, look at how many people transferred from Kentucky basketball last season. They weren't. That wasn't by choice. That was you didn't meet expectations. You need to go down a level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we we know that the transfer portal this year has just been filled with thousands and thousands of athletes. Not just with basketball, but you know other sports as well. There are a lot of kids out there who don't either don't feel they're getting the the kind of quality coaching they expected. Didn't feel they were getting the kind of playing time they expected. Whatever the reason may be, or they were basically told by the coach. You know, you may want to consider going someplace else next year because I don't think you're going to fit into our overall plans. That's the reality. of That's the downside of college sports, as you said, isn't talked about very often. Uh, you know, guys, this is just fascinating stuff. I, you know, on the, on, the, on the positive side, maybe having all these young athletes in college when they're going through their studies, maybe exposing them to this whole stuff with endorsement deals and, and NIL uh, maybe there's something to be said about them learning the basics of being entrepreneurial and learning about business in the real world. And to my way of thinking, that's that's a pretty positive development when it comes to being in college, learning how the real world works and how you how you can find out ways to generate income you know, for yourself. Well, I think that's probably a good idea and, and we'll have a modicum of success. But I also saw one school, I don't know if it was Penn State, but one school is requiring anyone who gets an NIL at their school to take a finance course, which is probably okay. going right into what you were talking about, yeah, Rick. And, and maybe that will be copied also uh, all over the country. I don't know how much attention big stars will pay if they're making a ton of money because they've already made the money. But I think that at least is a good start and a good idea. Yeah, I think we all, I mean, look, financial literacy is something that should be taught certainly in, in high school, but obviously by the time the kids get to college, uh, especially if some of these kids really start to earn some real money, uh, they need to know some background in finance and, and to uh, you know understand some debits and credits along the way. Guys, I, I got to tell you, I, I can't tell you, I find this whole thing just to be a tremendously interesting uh, part of the development of, of sports today. I do think the NCAA uh, is just basically going to quietly go away. The Power Fives are going to take over. Uh, and for all the good points you've made today, but guys, I just find this to be absolutely uh, just uh, intellectually fascinating, and, and obviously I'm, I'm so glad to have you guys on the show this morning. Uh, so thank you both, Noah Savage from ESPN. Thank you, of course, for your for your good insights and thoughts, and of course, Steve Callis, as always, and you're right on top of this stuff from a legal perspective, and it's really good to hear. Guys, thanks again. I gotta, I'm out of time. And that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. Uh, my thanks this morning to, uh, to, to Pete Hoffman for helping out. To stick around for Richard Neer. He's up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.